kids and middle school kids, you guys can head out as well. Well, this summer we've been taking a look at the prayers of Paul in Scripture. We've been taking a look at um, the content of, of what he prayed. We've been taking a look at kind of the spirit in which he prayed it. And also kind of looking at what can we learn um, from that and from him. And so one of the assumptions that I'm making as we go through this series is that you actually pray. So I don't really have a sermon for you about all the reasons why to pray. It's pretty clear. Scripture's clear that that's an important and essential part of our journey. So assuming that you pray, then how is it that uh, you should do that? That's what we're hoping to figure out. And along the way, the last few weeks, we've examined prayers where Paul has prayed uh, for the people in his life to know Christ better, right? He prayed that the eyes of their heart would be enlightened so they could understand that fully. We looked at a prayer a couple weeks ago that, where Paul is praying that he wants his, his people, these churches that he's praying for, to know how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And last week, you guys looked at a couple of different prayers that he prayed for kind of the sanctification process and people basically praying for people to be transformed into the image of Christ, that, that they would be continuing to look more and more like Jesus. He was praying for that in people's lives. And my hope is that Taking a look at, at these different prayers is giving you some, some focus and some direction to the things that you're praying for people. And I also pray that as, as, you're, as you're praying, that especially if you're actually praying these words in Scripture, that those truths are being grounded more deeply into you and that your faith is, is growing and deepening uh, through this process. So today we're going to begin by taking a look at a prayer that Paul wrote for the church in Thessalonica, which is in modern-day Greece. It was a, a church that he started, so he went to this town and proclaimed the message of Jesus for the first time they'd ever heard it. If you flip back in the book of Acts, chapter 17, you read the story of, of what that first encounter was like. It kind of records him arriving and the details that happened there. It was a, a little bit of a harrowing journey for him. He came in and, and it was his habit. He would go to the Jewish synagogue and begin preaching this message of Jesus. And it says that a, several of the Jewish people there uh, became Christians. Several of the Greeks and Gentiles became Christians as well. But the Jews that didn't receive his message were very hostile towards him and tried to rush him out of town and get rid of him. And so he escaped um, and got out. So what that means is that his time there was very short. And he didn't have a lot of time to really instruct and prepare them just from Scripture. You have to remember that when he was starting these churches that the gospel accounts of Jesus' life hadn't been written yet. And so there's no like him leaving a Bible with them when he leaves. Everything that's being communicated is done orally. So the fact that he didn't get to spend much time there, he didn't get to equip and raise up leaders, um, it means that when he, when he left, he knew that they were kind of ill-equipped and... Um, and really hadn't been prepared like he would have liked. He knew that there was opposition uh, in the town that he was in and that these people were going to be severely tested. So in the letters that he wrote, First and Second Thessalonians, you can kind of hear his concern. So I want you to open your Bibles up to First Thessalonians chapter 2. It's page 825 in your pew Bibles. First Thessalonians chapter 2. Going to start in verse... 
17. So this is a little bit of the backdrop here before we head into uh, the main part of the prayer today. 1 Thessalonians 2.17 says, But brothers and sisters, when we were orphaned by being separated from you for a short time, in person, not in thought, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you. For we wanted to come to you, certainly I, Paul, did again and again, but Satan blocked our way. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. So when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. We sent Timothy, who is our brother and co-worker in God's service and spreading the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you in your faith, so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. For you know quite well that we are destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted. And it turned out that way, as you well know. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter had tempted you and that our labors might have been in vain. But Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. He has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we also long to see you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. For now we really live, since you are standing firm in the Lord. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? So we see that despite the trials that they were facing, they were standing firm in their faith. And and Paul is just overjoyed that this is the case. And, uh, but he also knows that the challenges are still coming. He knows that there are going to be many battles to fight, um, that this is a town that's, that's, that's rough. It's, it's very uh, much in opposition to the message. So we see evidence in Paul's second letter, 2 Thessalonians, in, in chapter 1, verse 4, he says this. He says, Therefore, among God's churches, we boast about your perseverance in faith and all the persecutions and trials that you are enduring. So, again, it's, it's evident that, that these people in Thessalonica are being persecuted. They're experiencing opposition, going through trials. So the need for prayer for this church is very intense. Okay? There's no doubt that persecutions and trials involve suffering and extremely challenging times. <clears throat> so, transitioning now into we're getting ready to go through the prayer that he prayed for them. But the question I want to ask as, as we head into this is, is what do we pray for people when they're hurting, when they're going through various trials, what do we pray for ourselves specifically? What are we, what are we asking God to do in the midst of that? And, and this message um, is very timely um, for some of us here. Some of us lost a, a really close friend this week. And um, I've gotten to pray this prayer that we're going to talk about today for people in this situation. Prayed it for myself. Um, so I'm really glad that this is what we're talking about this morning um, I would venture to guess, um, if we haven't already, if, you know, if you're not uh, hurting right now or know somebody that's, that's hurting, you, you, you will, because <laughs> life is full of trouble, okay? So the question again this morning is, what is it that we pray? What are we, what are we asking God to do? So what did Paul pray for them? Let's look at verse 10 in chapter 3. It says this, it says, night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. 
So first of all, let's examine how Paul prayed, okay? How did he and his companions pray? It says that he prayed night and day. So they were faithful. They were persistent, okay? The thoughts of the Thessalonians and their plight were kind of always on their minds. And throughout their day, night and day, they would just throw up prayers every time they would think about them. And so despite Paul's own challenges, and he's talking about in here, you know, he's writing, hey, I'm being persecuted. I'm going through some tough stuff. He didn't allow his circumstances to consume him to the point where he forgot about the Thessalonians and their problems, okay? So he was very mindful of them. And so a question I have for all of us this morning is, when was the last time that we lost sleep praying for someone? When was the last time we lost sleep praying for someone? When was the last time that our needs and our desires and our schedules were interrupted because somebody else in our life was hurting and we knew that they needed our prayers more than I needed my sleep at that time? Or do we just kind of fit our prayer life in kind of wherever it's convenient for us? So they prayed night and day. Secondly, another how they prayed. It says they prayed most earnestly. Most earnestly. So these weren't weak and kind of half-hearted and faithless prayers, okay? But there was this sense of urgency and this passion and this belief that, that God had the power uh, to do something. They had just this desire for their brothers in the faith. So would the phrase most earnestly describe your prayer life? If we go back to the book of Acts and the establishment of kind of the first church in Jerusalem after Jesus is dead, buried, resurrected, and ascended into heaven, you see this, uh, this story in Acts chapter 2 of Peter, and he's preaching to this large crowd, okay? And the writer of Acts, a guy named Luke, records this in chapter 2, verses 41 and 42. It says, those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. So that word devoted, we're all pretty familiar with that phrase. It, it, it kind of means very strongly and with a, with a great sense of commitment. And I don't know about you, but in the course of my journey of following Christ now, I've known a lot of people who I would say are devoted to teaching. You know, they like to download sermons and read the next book, and they're just constantly soaking in information. I've known a lot of people over the course of my journey that are devoted to fellowship. They love being with people, being in small groups and studies and hanging out with people all the time, others who are like them and in their faith that encourage them. I've known people that are, that are devoted to the breaking of bread, the literally sharing meals with people or, or being faithful to communion and, and communing with the Lord. But in 30 years, I've known very few people that I could say, man, there's a person that I know is devoted to prayer. Very few, including myself sometimes. And I think some of us look at this list and we're like, yeah, you know, two or three out of four, that's not doing too bad. But if we really want to examine the success of Paul's ministry as a missionary, we have to, to take a look and take note at his just ceaseless and constant prayer that you see evident in his life. 
And Paul himself, and you see in several of the letters he wrote, he said this, he said, guys, when I came to you, you weren't persuaded because I was a great speaker. In fact, he describes himself as kind of timid and bumbling and stumbling around as he talked. He said, I'm not a very good speaker. You didn't come to Christ because of my amazing messages. And it wasn't because necessarily because of his presence either, because this is a guy that had a lot on his plate. He didn't stay in towns very long. Sometimes he was ran out and, you know, they tried to kill him. Other times he had to go back to churches that he'd started and encourage them. He had several churches that he was responsible for. And then he also was always trying to push to the next frontier, go to the next town that hadn't heard the gospel. So this wasn't a guy that, that, that got to stay very long in any one place. But prayer, he discovered, he could do anywhere, anytime. And Paul knew that his influence was limited, but God's influence was constant and active and powerful all the time. And so we see such great evidence in his writing of this incredible commitment to prayer, believing that God could do more and greater things than his words, Paul's words, or his presence could conjure up. Do we really believe that? Because I think a lot of times I kind of think, man, if I'm just there to say something or to do something, that that's really going to make a difference. If all I do is pray, eh, I don't know. Maybe God will do something. But I really think a lot of myself <laughs> and my ability to, to help people grow and, and come to Christ or whatever the situation might be. So he prayed night and day. He prayed most earnestly. But what did he pray? In verse 10, it says, He prayed that God would use him to supply whatever was lacking in their faith. To supply whatever was lacking in their faith. In their faith. So his prayer was purposeful. There was a goal in mind. It was very specific. And we began by this, this series by asking the question, when we pray for people, what are we asking God to do? What are we asking God to do? Because I think sometimes we just kind of pray these generic prayers, you know? Oh, God, help that person or bless that person or blah, 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 whatever. Just like lame prayers. And I pray some lame prayers too. You know, it's like, what, am I, what do I want to see happen in this person's life? What am I asking God to do here? And he says, God, I want to pray that these folks would have no holes. He says, I want you to fill up whatever is lacking in their faith. And so if they need patience, give it to them. If they need endurance, give it to them. If they need hope, give it to them. If they need love, give it to them. If they need wisdom, give it to them. Whatever it is that they need, fill it up, whatever is lacking in them. And so when you look at your friend's who are hurting, when you look at yourself, when you're hurting, what is it that you want to see God do in those situations? I want you to think right now in your mind. Maybe you've already been doing this. I want you to picture in your mind right now who is a friend in your life who's hurting. Or maybe you're the one that's hurting right now. And I want you to think, what is it that your friend needs? What is it that's lacking in their faith right now or in your own? What is it? Raise your hand. Tell me. What is it that that person needs or that you need? Yeah. 
A miracle, is that you said? Oh, you're hurting. Yeah, yeah. What do you need? You don't know. We'll get to that. That's a good answer. <laughs> we don't always know. What do we know? Yeah. Strength? Yeah. What else? That God is real. They need reminders of his realness. Yeah. Happiness. Okay. Comfort. Patience. Hope. Good. All those things. Yeah. And so, a couple things, guys. When you, I I want you to get in the habit of doing, when you go and you ask somebody to pray for you, when you're in a situation where you know you need help, I want you to communicate to that person, this is what I want to see God do in me. This is what I need right now. Help them out. (laughs) Say, man, this is my situation. I'm really having a hard time loving this person or forgiving this person. Would you pray that God would help me to do that better? So that it's specific, okay? And then sometimes when you're praying for other people, like my brother here this morning, maybe they can't tell you what it is they need. And so in those situations a lot, this is what I do. I say, well, this is what I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray that God does this. And what I try to do is I try to give them a picture of hope on the other side of their problem. And I say, I can see a better marriage. I can see a better future for your kid or for whatever the situation might be. And I'm going to pray that God would do that. Is that okay? And I give, help try to give them a vision for what could be. So maybe then it gives them an idea of how they can pray for themselves too. Oh, I never thought of that. Or, man, I'm glad you have the faith for that because I don't right now. Look at verse 12. Skip down a verse. It says, May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. So Paul prays that in the midst of their trials, that their love would increase and overflow. And I want you to notice that he doesn't pray for their circumstances to change or for their trials to go away. What he says is that in the midst of it, I want, I want to see evidence of Christ's likeness in you during the pain. Okay? And why does he pray this? Well, I don't know about you, but when I'm experiencing pain and trouble in my life, it's not love that comes out a lot of times, right? A lot of times it's a lot of ugly stuff that I'm not very proud of. And in general, when people are hurting, they either withdraw or they get really self-focused or both. And it's hard for your love to increase and overflow to others when you isolate yourself from others. It's hard for your love to increase and overflow to others when you're constantly self-absorbed. And if you've been around people that are hurting, you know that it's, for better or for worse, it's kind of all about them. And you hear a lot about their marriage issues and their kid issues or their job issues or their health issues. And when we're in pain and and self-absorbed, we hardly have the time or energy for anything or anyone. And sometimes our hurt turns on other people. And, And the phrase that I say a lot, and I really believe it's true, is this, is that hurting people hurt people. Hurting people hurt people. But Paul is saying, guys, it doesn't have to be that way. 
he's, he's looking at the Thessalonians and how they're responding to their trials and persecution. He's saying, man, guys, you guys are doing some good stuff here. I see evidence of your, your, your love and your faith that's growing. And he's saying, I know that more trouble's coming. I want, to, I want to see you continue to operate in that way. You see, when we're hurting, we have a choice to either build walls that shut other people out or build bridges that connect us to other people. And I've seen people do both of those things a lot. And I want to say this, is that just because we're in pain, it doesn't give us a license to say and do whatever we want. Because we're always representing Christ. So Paul prays for them and he says, guys, when it feels like nothing's going right and the pressure and intensity, everything's kind of pressing in on you, I want your love to increase during that time. And I want it to overflow. And so that you might be a person that even in the midst of trials and struggles could be a blessing to somebody else. Let's look at verse 13. He says, may he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God, God and Father, when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. Strengthen your hearts so that you'll be blameless. Tom Landry, some of you guys are old enough to remember him. He was a football coach of the Dallas Cowboys in the 70s and 80s. He always wore the fancy hat on the sideline and suit. Um, He said this one time. He said, fatigue makes cowards of us all. Fatigue makes cowards of us all. And I know that's true of me. Sometimes when I'm just tired of fighting and tired of struggling in whatever situation might be going on in my life, I just want the easy way out. I I, I don't want to confront that person. I don't want to forgive that person. I don't want to embrace the the lonely or the hurting that are around me in that time. I kind of just want it to be about me. Instead of moving towards community, I tend to want to withdraw because it's easier, it feels easier. And a lot of times I just kind of go numb and just want to escape instead of praying and seeking God. And in those moments where I'm kind of most weak and most vulnerable, I need my heart to be strengthened. I need somebody praying for me. And so, so that I can reflect Christ well. I read a recent tweet by uh, Donald Miller. Most of you guys are, you've heard of him. He wrote uh, the storyline study that we've gone through. And it kind of stopped me in my tracks, and, and this is what it said. He said, if you could look back on your life a year from now, how would you have wanted to deal with your current situation? Man, that kind of puts some things in perspective, doesn't it? How many wish you could go back and undo something you've done in the last year, right? None of you, great. No, hopefully all of you, right? Hopefully not all of you, actually. 
But we need, when, when, that, when that pain is most intense in our lives, we need to be, we need our hearts strengthened. Before we send that text, that tweet, that email, or say that thing we just want to say in the midst of our pain and anger and bitterness, we need some perspective. And I want to wrap this message up this morning by um, taking a look at another prayer that Paul prayed for hurting people. If you would flip over to 2 Corinthians real quick. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, it's page 803 in your Bibles. So Paul wrote this to the church in Corinth. 2 Corinthians 1, starting in verse 3. It says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm, because we know that just as you suffer, as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. So when Jesus was hanging out with his disciples, when he knew that like his impending death was, was coming here, he comforted them by letting them know that, guys, when I leave, I'm going to send someone. I'm going to send a counselor, a comforter, the Holy Spirit to be inside of you. So what does the Spirit's presence in our hearts do for us in times of trouble and pain? What should it remind us? That we have the Holy Spirit in us. What should that do for us? What should that remind us when we experience times of trouble and pain? Yeah, Jim. That God is always with us. Yes, perfect. Yeah. Yeah, the same spirit that rose Christ from the dead is in us, so the power to get through or to change or whatever circumstance we're in is available. Yeah, what else should it do for us? Yeah. Uh, To know that God's power is made perfect in our weakness. weakness. Yeah, that's great. Anything else you can think of? That's good, man. (laughs) And I, I just hang on to the promises too. We've looked at these before that it says that Christ is interceding on our behalf. It says the Spirit is interceding on our behalf. When we're in places where we're hurting, we don't even know what to say. It says the Holy Spirit puts words to those groanings in our hearts. And guys, I want you to hear this. This is a concept that we've talked about before. And it's a little hard sometimes to wrap our minds around. But it's this is that comfort is not something that we have to search for. Comfort is not something that we have to search for. And so when we pray, 
theologically, we should not have to say, God, give me comfort, or God, give that person comfort, okay? Because if we have Christ in us, comfort's there in the presence of the Holy Spirit in us. Everything that we need is already there. So when we're not experiencing comfort, what's happening is that our flesh on the outside and those fleshly desires of, of maybe control or whatever it might be that we, we can't let go of is blocking the flow of comfort from the center of who we are in Christ to our hearts and minds in that moment. So what we really need to be praying is God help us live in the reality that we are already comforted in Christ. We have this person in us in Christ who has been through anything that we could experience in life. And so he understands us. He knows us. He's there. We don't have to pray that God would comfort us. We have to live like it's true that he has. And finally, God's provision of comfort is not self-serving. It's for the benefit of others. So we need to be praying that our friends and ourselves, that when we are experiencing comfort, in the midst of trouble, that, that they would share that with other people and give it away, even if their circumstances are still painful. And this is a concept and a truth about God that we need to, to grab a hold of and believe, is that our God is a God of abundance. That God never gives us just enough. He always gives us more than what we need. And so if we're comforted by Christ we're experiencing that. He doesn't just give us enough to get by. He gives us an abundance of it so that we can give it away to somebody else. Okay? And that goes for everything. Love, peace, joy, whatever. Our God is a God of abundance. Remember we looked in Ephesians 3 a couple weeks ago and he said, um, we're praying to a God who can do immeasurably more than we ever ask or imagine. So whatever it is you think you need in your time of pain, he wants to give immeasurably more than that. So how do we pray for those who are hurting? How do we pray? Not intermittently or haphazardly, but faithfully and persistently, night and day if it requires it. How do we pray? Not weak, half-hearted, faithless prayers, but most earnestly, believing that God can and will show up in a person's life for the children that he loves and do something. What do we pray for those who are hurting? Who are hurting? Let me just remind you and put these up here. Paul prayed four things we looked at today that the Holy Spirit would provide what is lacking in their faith, that he would increase their love to overflowing, that he would strengthen their hearts so that they wouldn't regret their actions in that season of pain that they're in, and finally that they would receive his comfort and pass it on to others. What I'd love for you guys to be able to do is to give this vision to your friends who you're praying for, you know, and tell them, guys, this is what's possible, even in the midst of your pain, and I, I, can't, I can't promise you that your circumstances are going to change, but in the midst of your pain, God can meet you, he can make your love increase and overflow, he can strengthen your heart, he can comfort you so that you can comfort others, even if your circumstances are still crappy, because <laughs> I can't control those things, Right? And God, guys, what I would love to see you begin to do, if you haven't started doing that already, what I'm trying to communicate to you by going through this series is that you don't have to come up with these amazingly creative prayers. 
All you have to do is open up God's word. He's given you all the prayers that you could ever need for whatever situation you might be experiencing or somebody else in your life. And I would love to see you begin to grow in confidence to come alongside your brother who's hurting and put your hand on him and say, I'm going to pray from God's word for you. And just begin reading these prayers out loud to them. Or maybe you're on the phone with them. And sometimes I'll do that. I can just, I'll just say, can I pray for you right now? And go get God's word and say, I want to pray this passage that we just talked about in church today. And pray it out loud for them. It's powerful. <laughs> God's word is powerful, folks. And it's all, all we need for whatever, God, whatever situations God places us in. So, I would love to hear before we exit today, we're going to head into communion time. Because I just think it's interesting. Because our God is a God who's creative and who knows what's going on in your life or in the lives of people that you love. How did God speak to you this morning? What are you going to walk away with? If you have to boil this down to a couple things this morning, what are you going to walk away with that you're going to be like, I know this is what God said to me today that I, that I need to do or what he said to me for my friend who's hurting. Yeah. Yeah. You know, then anything that happens during the course of that day, it takes a sting out of it because you know it's his will. Yeah. You know, and now it, it's, uh, I pray through the day, but now after today, I realize that I'm still not done. I'm still, <laughs> I'm still way short. Yeah. And so it's, it's a transition. It's just it's yeah. amazing. Right. We, we, what he's trying to communicate, and it, it, what I'm hearing is him saying that you know, prayer is becoming more of a, a way of life, almost like breathing, as opposed to just an activity or an event that you do in the morning or at this time that you've set aside. But it just becomes who you are, that you're just constantly praying, thanking God, praying for others, that it just becomes a part of every part of you. Yeah, that's awesome. What else are you hearing today from God? Yeah, London, you have to scoot up, girl. Bring it up here. Yeah. Right. Yeah, definitely. Prayer takes time. And the reality is, is that we give time to things that we think are important. So, yeah, Tony?
Yeah, because what he's saying is, yeah, just getting deeper in relationships with people. I think this is an important thing, guys, you need to keep in mind, too, is that it can be real dangerous to say a bunch of things about a person's life if you don't know their situation. And so I want to caution you when you're praying for people or when you're kind of like casting vision for their life, know their story before you start babbling off a bunch of stuff that really isn't accurate. (laughs) Okay, so take the time to really listen and to get a sense of who they are and spend time with them because then you can really speak confidently into some of maybe their struggles that you've seen over time and say, man, what you really need, what's lacking in your faith because I spent time with you is, is this and I confidently can say that. And then they, when they hear it from you, they know that you care about them, they love them, they know you, they're going to hear that better than just some random person spouting off. So, hey, we're going to head into a time of communion. And um, I love doing that too, guys, just kind of asking you that question. Because when you walk out of here every week and as you spend time on your Sunday reflecting on this stuff, guys, there, there needs to be some specific things that you're holding on to and that you're putting into practice. We're not coming here just to punch our card and to see our friends and all that stuff. Those are great side benefits, but we're coming here to be changed and to not continue to live and act the way we've been acting or praying or whatever, but to, but to change and become more Christ-like in the way that we do everything, okay? So hopefully you're walking away with something you can put into practice this week. Um, during our communion time, we're just going to give you a time of silence just to pray and connect. Maybe you can pray for that person that's hurting, what specifically you want to see God do in their life or in your own life if you're hurting today. Our ushers will dismiss you, and you can come forward and, and tear off the bread and dip it in the cup and, and head back to your seat, and we'll, we'll sing a song at the end to worship. So let me pray as we head into our time of silence this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this uh, gift of being in your word, of of getting some focus and some purpose and direction and learning from Paul. And so, God, I pray that as we uh, just practice praying, that we become more and more confident in being able to see what it is that you want to do in people's lives, a way that you want to change them and, and strengthen them and encourage them. And, God, that you might use us as agents of blessing to other people. And, Lord, we're in the midst of our own pain. I pray that we would be remembering these prayers, God, that that even in the midst of struggles, that our love should be increasing and overflowing. God, that when sometimes our perspective is warped by our pain, that we need to invite people in to pray for us and say, man, I'm I'm a wreck. I'm not seeing things straight. Would you come and pray for me? Would you strengthen my heart today? Lord, as we come into your presence and we're reminded of your sacrifice, we're just so grateful for your love for us, God. I pray that there'd be an appreciation, a thankfulness, a gratitude welling up in us this morning as we come to your table. Lord, hear our prayers.